0: Welcome to the Monday edition of the Below Average Joe's MMA podcast. It's episode one fifty one. The climb to episode two hundred gets one step closer, but we got a long way to go. We do, yeah. A long way to a thousand, if you really think about it.
1: Oh my! Big, big goals, <laughs> big aspirations.
0: <Burned. laughs> but uh, we had a really good week weekend of MMA action. That's what we're going to be here to give you guys the MMA weekend recap. I'm joined, as always, mm. by th- by the one, the only, yeah, the Dominic Salee.
1: I needed some hype music and fog and smokers <laughs> going there during my intro. Uh, How are no, you doing, Dom? Uh, I'm doing good. Thank you for asking. I'm happy, as always, to be in the studio. I'm still a bit stuffy in the nose. Hopefully, it's not coming out too bad in the mic. Last night was pretty bad, but I woke up feeling much better. This Sunday morning, so I'm excited to be recording. We got plenty of fights to preview and recap, uh, and I'm here as always with my wonderful co-host, co-founder of the show, Noah Todd Baker.
0: Thanks, Tom. Would've
1: embarrassing if I messed up your middle name there.
0: It would have been a little bit. I'm, I'm <laughs> glad that you. Know, I'm glad that you remember my father's. Name
1: yeah, because, that's what uh, makes it easier.
0: Um, Really funny, though, that maybe I've just gotten so predictable because every episode I say, how are you doing, Dom, that when I introduced you, I hadn't even asked it yet. And you were already about to tell me how you were doing. Yeah. So I was like, whoa, whoa wait a bit. Wait a bit. How are you doing? Yeah,
1: right. right. And then
0: you're like, oh, OK, now I can talk about it. All right. And I am good. Yeah. <laughs> but no, I'm uh, doing fantastic, Dominic. And, you know, it's getting a little chillier outside. I can see that. And I'm curious what, what what our viewer's theory on this is because, you know, me and you are big advocates for the beanie. Yes. The toboggan, as some people call it. Yes. Um, I don't really wear hats. Me I have either. such a big head that it just doesn't look right.
1: And I just look stupid in hats. So,
0: And maybe beanies I don't look good in either, but I just like them.
1: Oh, you look good. You look good. <laughs>
0: But my theory here, Dominic, or something I want to, I guess, take a pull on is okay. does anybody else do the hoodie over the beanie thing? Uh. Because I don't know when I started doing this, but it was sometime in college, I'm assuming. But I remember for a long time, everybody, like people around me, started to realize that when I did it, it was like because I was hungover, <laughs> which I promise I'm not hungover right now. I'm just saying that, like, it was like that was my hungover look. Yeah. And then over time, it's just became my 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 look. <laughs> Which I, don't I know mean, I like it. I don't know what that says about me, but um, I just want to get a poll, Get anybody to let me know. Does anybody else do the hoodie over the the beanie, or is everybody like that's stupid? What's the point of the beanie if you're gonna put the hood up? You know what I mean. Our poll on Spotify tomorrow will be this question. Okay, (laughs) good to know, good to know. But um, let's get into what people actually came here for, starting with the fight announcements. You mean they didn't come to
1: see us? (laughs) Uh, Anyway.
0: Anyways, uh, UFC 269.
1: I mean, this is stupid.
0: The pay-per-view to end all pay-per-views. It's only getting bigger. It's only getting fatter. It's only getting thicker, Dom.
1: We like them thick.
0: That's that's a way you could describe a lot of different things. But <laughs> this fight between number seven, Josh Emmett, and number nine, Danny Gay on oh, December 11th man. is a great fight to add to this card. Honestly, this fight's going to get lost in the shuffle. <laughs> yes, that's yes, why we is. have to give it its shine now because there's so many good car fights on this card. Josh Emmett, we haven't seen him since late summer of 2020 when he had that fight of the year sleeper with Shane Burgos that he actually won, but he tore his ACL, I believe, in that fight. Um, That's been the reason he's been off for so long. Dan Ige has been taking fights with anybody and everybody. He's won some, he's lost some, but he's been game every step of the way, coming off a loss in a five-round main event with Korean Zombie over the summer. What should we expect from this one, Dom?
1: violence I think this is going to be really fun man it's good to see Josh Emmett back I hope he's 100% recovered I mean he's 36 years old at this point now so the clock is ticking especially coming off of a, such a serious injury with a torn ACL but this is a great uh, fight to welcome him back into that top 10 I think he's still deserving of such he's a very underrated guy Josh Emmett is uh, and for Dan Ige like you said coming off of a loss to Zombie who was ranked fourth or fifth in the rankings, so he's. ranking, taking a step back as well. This is still a very tough test for him. It's two guys that love to come in and bang. They're well-rounded. I'm excited to see who will kind of break the other's will. That's kind of how I see this one playing out.
0: Hmm. Yeah, it's uh, it Or is just break their jaw,
1: but, you know, it's fine.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you know, for Josh Emmett, he seems to be mentally in a good place. You mm-hmm. know, if you remember the post-fight interview from that win, he kind of came after everybody.
1: Yes, he did. I don't know
0: if you remember that he was uh, really calling out a lot of the media members. He he didn't Mm -hmm. name anybody specifically, but just claiming that he had been getting slept on for too long, that people were kind of almost being too, I don't know if there was any, anything about being negative towards him, but overall he just, he took it as a lot of slight on his name that he wasn't being mentioned among the top of the division. And, um, People might have forgot about that because of the layoff, but he has a big chip on his shoulder, and to come in against Dan Ige, who has carried the the mightiest of chips on his shoulder since yeah. he came in through the Contender Series, it's you know it's it's the makings of a great fight. Dan Ige has literally from the moment he has entered the UFC. It's either been that he shouldn't have gotten a contract, he shouldn't have got the win over Barboza, he shouldn't yeah. have been in a main event with Calvin Cater. He shouldn't have done this, shouldn't have done that. Danny gay is a great fighter. And Josh Emmett, I believe, is still a great fighter. He yeah. coming off probably the best performance of his career. How much did that how much did he leave in the octagon? That's just going to be the question here. Yeah. Danny is not a guy for you to come in if you have ring rust, you know, as they call it. Um, if you have, you know, any sort of holdbacks about coming in there, being loose, you know, if if, if Josh Emmett's if going to be all tight and not feeling like himself, right? Ige's not going to be the guy to sit there for a couple rounds and figure it out.
1: No, this isn't no tune-up fight, that's for sure.
0: <laughs> no, not at all. Uh, following that, February 12th, since UFC 271 Whew. starting to get some fights in for that card. Um, this is gonna be one of those that'll probably I would it might be on the main card, but I would I would think this might be like a prelim headliner type yeah. deal. Yeah, and Moicano and Alexander Hernandez, two guys in this lightweight division. You know, this might be a fight that a lot of people would skip over, but yeah, for us, these are two guys who have at one time been looked at as bright prospects in this division mm-hmm. and have fallen on. A tougher road since Moicano maybe more so has had a bit of a you know his record's not as clean now he's he's had some tough losses but yeah coming off a win over Jai Herbert who fought Saturday night and got a big win over him while Alexander Hernandez is coming off of a big win over Mike Bringdon but you know we've seen with Alexander Hernandez the moment he's on the He's right at the, the edge of getting into that top 15 discussion. He gets starched by Donald Cerrone. Yep. He gets starched by Drew Dober. Here, Hinato Moicano. We've seen Moicano, even though he is so much well-prepared for the ground game, we've seen him enjoy getting into some slugfests. It happened to his, not to his benefit against uh, our boy... Um, why am I forgetting his name again? Rafael Fazayev. Yes, Rafael <laughs> Fazayev, my favorite guy in the division maybe. Um, but, yeah, that he he tried to just stand and trade with him, and it was like, that's not going to go your way, my friend. Yeah. Alexander Hernandez, you might be able to get away with that a little bit, but Hernandez has a lot of power. Moicano, not exactly got the best striking, especially in his defense. Yeah, I think he'll be better equipped to take this fight down to the ground. 100%. But we'll just see how it plays out. It should be a lot of fun.
1: I can't say anything more.
0: <laughs> so let's uh, get into some more news and really just one big thing going on right now, Dominic. The picture worth a thousand words. The picture that got everybody talking on Twitter. Nate Diaz. Yep. <sighs> he's always Nate up to Diaz. something. He's always <laughs> just, he's always in the shadows. Just yeah. Just tweeting away.
1: He knows how to stay relevant. That's for damn yeah. sure.
0: He posted a picture on Twitter and no, no caption. So mm-hmm. usually, you you know, it, most of these time, most times, if you don't put a caption, it's like, okay, well, what's he talking about? Right. Well, it was a picture of Tony <laughs> Ferguson holding that interim lightweight title that he won back in twenty seventeen. No caption, but I think no. the I think it was pretty clear what Nate Diaz was getting at here. Oh yeah. However, at the same time, Dominic, I didn't realize this. At first, this was just that this this was the story. Yeah. You know, that it looks like Nate Diaz wants a Tony Ferguson vibe. Meanwhile, at the same time, Tony Ferguson and Connor McGregor have been having a war of words on Twitter as well. Didn't even notice that this was going on. Kind of slipped under my radar. Yeah. Um, they've not been kind to one another. No. And then even Diaz, I believe yesterday. Um, sub sub tweeted Connor didn't add him, but he said, "Uh, you can't even fight, dumbass," or something like that with the, the four uh, the yeah. clover. So we got you know the the young and the lightweight going on right now. Little love triangle. <laughs> so we have our three parties here, and they all yeah. kind of want to fight each other, but no fight has been booked for any of them. Which fight makes more sense right now, Dominic?
1: Uh, We're going to do the first ever triple threat match in UFC history. Now, uh, you know which fight makes more sense? I mean, it's Nate and Tony. This is the one I called for really seems like forever ago at this point. And, uh, you know, Connor's injured at the end of the day, right? And Tony's on a skid. Nate's on a skid. They're in similar paths in terms of their career trajectories. They're both still huge names. Nate's obviously one of the biggest stars still in the game today. I think that's a fantastic fight. The fans want to see it. The way that their styles would clash would just be so interesting. It would likely be five rounds because we know how that works with the Diaz brothers. Uh, I think that's an awesome fight, man. And, you know, I will say when Connor's healthy and comes back, depending on what Tony does in that meantime, a fight between him and Tony would make sense as a comeback fight, potentially depending on kind of the, the, uh, the waters and how they're looking at lightweight during that time. But I'm not even thinking about Connor right now in the foreseeable future. He's got a long recovery ahead. Nate and Tony, that's the fight.
0: Okay, so what, I, what I'm thinking and which fight makes more sense, I'm looking at where are these guys at today? Where are they, you know, ranking-wise, where are they at? Uh, how much do they have left in their future? You know, these are all variables that need to be considered. I love the Nate-Tony fight. You've been calling for it for a long time now. I love the fight. It'd be at 170 pounds. Yep. And truthfully... Even though rankings wise, it might make more sense for Tony and Connor to at some point fight. And maybe that'll still be the case no matter what happens with Tony versus Diaz. <laughs> maybe I'm crazy here, but I know Connor has had the cleanest of runs and Tony obviously hasn't had the cleanest of runs. I don't think that's a fight that Tony, I want to put Tony in right now. I think he gets hurt bad against Conor McGregor. Hmm. If I'm being frank and honest with myself, this man has taken a lot of damage from Justin Gaethje. He took a lot of damage when he was fighting these grapplers like Charles Oliveira. And then when he fought, um, he just Benil Dariush. I don't know what fight I want for him to be honest, because it seems based on this string of performances, it's not there's not a lot to to really digest. There's not a lot of positives to take away. Yeah. Besides the heart, I guess. And yeah. you know, I believe he's capable of doing much better than he has. Mm-hmm. But I'm if I can't, if I'm not seeing it, then he's getting hurt in these fights, man. It's just yeah, I'm not enjoying watching it. And not to you know, be the the, the not to piss on anybody's, I guess, excitement for a potential fight here because I, I would be excited for it. I do get uncomfortable, you know, when when I'm reminded by Connor on Twitter about the incident that Tony Ferguson had a couple years ago, where um, apparently his his wife or fiance or whatever uh, called the police on him because he was basically there. Just seemed to be a lot of problems with his mental health at the time, and. What scares me is that, you know, should this guy really even be fighting is just my my whole (coughs) my whole thing. It's the same thing, the same discussion that needed to be had with Nick Diaz. Mm -hmm. Even if the fight was good, in hindsight, should Nick Diaz really have fought? I don't know. It's it's a discussion that has to be had. Right. So In order to keep things light on here, I guess, and not to... to, I just wanted to put that out there, that I think we all need... I'm tired of, like, Nick Diaz has this interview with Ariel Helwani a couple years ago. Everybody gets very concerned, saying Nick Diaz sounds, like, really bad. They don't think he should fight. Well, a couple years goes by, and... Now all of a sudden everybody wants him to fight again, and mm-hmm. he gets put with Robbie Lawler. I just, I'm just putting it out there because I don't want people to forget that these incidents have happened. Right. So it's at least worth, you know, evaluating yourself if you think that should Tony Ferguson really still be fighting? Of course. But that being said, the DS fight would make a lot of sense right now, considering they are both healthy, relatively, and available i feel like connor is feeling like the third wheel here and that's why yeah yeah. that's why he's piping in so much because he can't fight but these are the two guys that if he could fight he probably would be matched up with one of these two for sure and instead they want to fight each other yeah now to pivot into a discussion had on the post-fight press conference saturday Dana was asked about this very picture, this very dialogue between Tony and Nate, and wanted to confirm this will be the last fight on Nate Diaz's current contract. Yeah. Dana said that is the case, and they are working on that fight right now, but Tony Ferguson was not one of the opponents that had been pitched to Nate He had also previously said Vicente Luque was not one of the opponents pitched to Nate. What opponent has been pitched?
1: I don't have a damn clue, Noah, because the only two people that Nate talks about outside of Connor are Tony and Vicente Luque. And apparently the UFC hasn't worked on either one of those fights. And obviously they're not working on him versus Connor because Connor's injured right now. So I don't know what the UFC has up their sleeve. I don't know if Dana's playing it off because they're, they're worried they won't get the contracts done or whatever, but... I don't know if Nate's just blowing smoke on Twitter to again stay relevant, get a lot of people talking about him, but either way it seems like Nate's got a fight in the works. Again, who could it be? I don't have a damn clue, but I know you have a bit of a theory you want to share and I'm curious to hear what it is.
0: You know, it's just I don't I don't I don't know theory Yeah, I mean it is it is a bit of a theory, I guess. You know, coming off of that loss to Leon Edwards, it showed that Nate can still be booked with top talents. Mm-hmm. Even though he doesn't have a ranking next to his name, I think I, I would like to say I speak for everybody, but I'll just speak for myself. Nate Diaz is a top 15 welterweight. That's the reality of the situation. He's still that good. Do, is he top 10? Is he top five? I don't know. Against Leon Edwards, he got beat up, but he almost finishes the fight in the last minute. Just throwing it out there. Who doesn't have a fight right now and has been wanting to fight Gilbert Burns? I uh,
1: yeah yeah.
0: I'm not. I'm saying that that's the best fight or that's the fight that should happen. But if Gilbert Burns is like really wanting this fight, he was talking about going up and fighting Sean Strickland at 185 yeah. pounds. It would make a lot of sense for the UFC to put Diaz with him because either way, it works out. Gilbert Burns gets the biggest win of his career or Nate Diaz basically shocks the world. It is immediately inserted into title conversation, right? Either one works out.
1: I can't say I dislike the idea.
0: And what do you think of the ongoing theory, Dom, that uh, the UFC being nervous about Nate Diaz being out of contract because he might uh, go searching for a little Jake Paul boxing money. (laughs)
1: I mean, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if he were to go down that route. He's a guy that loves the moolah at the end of the day. Uh, I I feel like I can confidently say if it's not the UFC, he's definitely not going to fight for another MMA league, but a boxing fight with Jake Paul would make a lot of sense. Uh, I don't know how Dana would feel about it, but I am curious to see once this fight on his contract is fought out, will they re-up? Will they want to do a fight-by-fight kind of deal like they do with Connor? I'll be curious to see uh, what could go what could go on there.
0: If Nate Diaz boxes Jake Paul, I'm. Why do you you always get away with this? You always get away with this. You always get to be the the positive guy. I'll kill myself if Jake Paul oh, and gosh. Nate Diaz box each other. Terrible idea. But you know whatever whatever happens happens. Yeah. Um, let's move on to PFL.
1: That's right. They're back, baby.
0: So we have to go over a lot of fights here. Basically, this is this is the championship, Don.
1: Yeah, this is it.
0: I mean, we have some other fights on there as well. Clarissa Shields has a big fight. Come, you know, this is her second fight in the PFL. Yep. Um, we have some debuts. Amariak Maidov, the the former uh, ranked UFC fighter, he's come over to the PFL making his debut, but. I want to get your thoughts right away here. Which matchup of all these title fights are you most intrigued by?
1: Well, I mean, the obvious one is Kayla Harrison and Taylor uh, Gordardo. Gordado, excuse me. Uh, In the main event, the women's lightweight title. Obviously, we're huge on Kayla Harrison. She's from our local area of residence from back in the day where we grew up and we're huge homers for her. She's an amazing fighter. There's intrigue in this also because it is Kayla Harrison's final fight on her PFL contract. Should she go out there and win, become a two-time PFL champion, she is going to be the most lucrative sought-after MMA free agent on the market going into 2022. So in a fight that's already – Uh, Interesting, in a sense, to see if she can continue her reign of dominance, if she can continue her unbeaten record, if she can become a two-time champion. Now you add on the fact that she may not be returning to the PFL next year. There's going to be some players out there looking to secure her, and she's going to be looking to secure the bag. I'm obviously super intrigued with that uh, amongst these other five title fights on this card.
0: Yeah, For me, it's the co-main event, Ray Cooper to third and Magomed Karimov. I'm very high on both these guys. These are the two previous winners of the welterweight uh, tournament. Uh, You got Magomed Karimov won in 2018 and then Ray Cooper won in 2019. So one of these guys is going to be a two-time PFL champion. I'm just very intrigued by the bout. I think both guys, you know, I don't know if necessarily bigger things are in their future. You know, they've been in the PFL for a while. They seem to like Mm
1: -hmm. what they have
0: here, but I wouldn't mind seeing either one of them test their, test their luck at uh, in Bellator or the UFC. Just different matchups, bigger talent pool. But regardless, that's, that's the big matchup for me because I think it's the most even on paper. Yeah. I will say with Kayla Harrison, the fact that she's fighting someone she's never fought before is very interesting.
1: Yeah, it feels fresh. <laughs> uh,
0: Taylor Guadardo, funny enough, uh, as an amateur, had wins over Raquel Pennington she lost to ronda rousey as an amateur wow uh, so she has fought even though she's what three and one i think as yeah, a
1: three and one as a
0: pro she did have a lot of experience as an amateur as well um any other matchups on here that stick out to you
1: yeah i mean i'm not trying to do like a fight by fight breakdown obviously there's a ton of title fights but um you know obviously the clarissa shields featured bout they kind of sandwiched her right on the main card in between all the title fights, which, you know, I understand that they're trying to build caress the shields and she's a big deal. Obviously I respect and love what she's doing. Transitioning over to uh, MMA, the fact that she's still only 26 and I didn't realize that till I took my notes intrigues me a lot because she really does seem dedicated to this craft and, you know, getting this career going in the PFL. And, you know, you have to assume as well, if Kayla were to leave, Shields is all of a sudden one of the biggest stars, one of the biggest names uh on their promotion. So I'm excited to see her against Abigail Montes. Abigail's only 2-0. This is going to be her first fight in the UFC. She's only 21 years old. I'll be curious to see in the time that we saw Clarissa last time and now, will the has the grappling and wrestling improved at all? Because we know that was her biggest weakness in that first one. She had a lot of time spent on her back, but she was able to come back. She looked great when she got the TKO finish in the third round, may I add. So the gas tank is there. I'll be curious to see, should Abigail kind of implement that same kind of uh, stylistic? Why am I blanking on the word? Uh, I'm still blanking on the word. Anyway, will Abigail look to grapple and kind of keep Clarissa on the ground? Will she keep it on the feet? You would like to think that no one would want to stay on the feet with her. I'm also excited for the heavyweight title fight, by the way. i just got to say, Bruno capeloza he's been starching people this mm-hmm. year in the season he's three you know KOing everyone so uh, i'm uh, excited to see him of course against ante delige who is going to be kind of slept on because these two fought earlier in the season and bruno got the victory so ante looking to not only win the title but get revenge that we could go on and on here but just wanted to shout out a couple others
0: yeah, also Julia Budd, the former yep. uh, Bellator featherweight champion. She's got her debut for the PFL at lightweight. Yes, so very low on this card, but it just shows that this card is uh, very stacked. And if you've been following the PFL all season, like we have, I mean, this fight, this this card's like a dream right now. I mean, he's Yeah, are, I mean,
1: it's crazy. Like
0: most of these fights, if this was if they were at their own card, they'd be main events. But instead, you got prelim title fights on here. Yeah, it's kind of crazy.
1: Six title fights. If they all imagine all six go five rounds,
0: wow, it might be like three (laughs) AM. It might be like UFC thirty three. They might just cut that shit. I'm just gonna gonna cut that shit. (laughs) All right, let's go on to Bellator two hundred and sixty nine.
1: Yeah, now we're recapping. We're look at us. We're previewing on the recap days. We're recapping on the recap days. Hi, yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> we're recapping on the preview days. We're preview, previewing we're, on the yeah. preview days. We're, we do it all here. We do it all. <laughs> um, I love the headline here. Three piece with the vodka.
1: I saw someone tweet this. I started. Yes, it, I
0: I wanted to give credit and I couldn't find it. Um, I thought it was um, he does MMA for ESPN and I can't remember his name now, but. Um, because I can't remember anybody's name today, apparently. Regardless, Fedor Emelianenko, at 45 years old, gets the knockout of Timothy Johnson, a minute 46 seconds of round number one. So, Dominic, give your thoughts on the fight, the performance, and the big question that has to be on everybody's mind, did this prove that Fedor can and still will Fight for heavyweight title in Bellator?
1: Hell yeah, it did. When Noah says knockout, people, we're talking knock out. This was the crispest of crisp that you'll see in terms of a three-piece combination. It was absolutely disgusting. The way that he still carries that power along with the precision and the fact that he was able to dip out of the way of the big shot that Timothy Johnson was throwing, this came off of a counter. I mean, this was super impressive from Fedor. Again, 45, 46 years old. This was his 40th professional win. It was in Russia. The place was going bonkers when he had this happen. What a night for Fedor. And, yes, he did prove he is still not only able to fight for a title, but that he more than likely will fight for a title, depending on what Bellator wants to do. We know that they still have an interim champion right now and Valentin Moldovsky that has to fight Ryan Bader for the undisputed title at least you would think that's their plans um so hopefully he gets the winner of that I don't know kind of what the schedules are looking like Bader obviously just lost in the light heavyweight Grand Prix so you got to think he's going to take some time off does Fedor maybe in the meantime want to do another fight do they want to do a one-off with Uh, JDS Alistair Overeem I don't know I don't know what Bellator wants to do I don't know what Fedor wants to do but damn if you're going to look like this, I want to see him fight again. That much I can say.
0: You know, at first I was like, when you said take another fight, I was like, no. But then you mentioned JDS, Alistair Overeem. I'm like,
1: all right. Maybe. <laughs> maybe.
0: maybe. I'd be I'd be down for it. This this fight showed me a lot for Fedor. I mean, it's is it the best win of his career? No. But at 45 years old, to still have the speed that he has – it's crazy. They yeah. always say yeah. that when you get old, you know, in the fight game, especially, speed is like the first thing first to, go. to go in all yeah. sports. You know? Yeah. yeah. We we grew up being football players. You watch the NFL, speed is always the first thing to go. Yeah. You can carry strength into an older age. Mentally you can still be sharp into an older age, but it's the speed that just can't you can't stay can't be yeah. as fast as you were in your early twenties, you know. Right. But Fedor Emelianenko's hand speed he's fast <laughs> it's still something to behold and yeah, it just gave Timothy Johnson all sorts of fits. My concern with this fight was one you have Timothy Johnson, who's just a a much larger man um than Fedor mm-hmm. and he does carry good power, but really, it was just he's just he's looked really good up in his last few fights for Bellator. Yeah. And being that he's been very competitive over the last couple of years while Fedor's had very sporadic activity, 45 years old, it just seemed a lot of things were lining up to where Right. I think a lot of us thought that Fedor would need to get this fight done and done quickly in order to have a chance, and he did. Yeah. But Timothy Johnson's a guy who I don't believe has ever been really knocked out like that, at least not of recent. Whew. So it was just very clear, though, that as soon as that fight started, Fedor was able to blitz and then jump out before Timothy could even register what had happened. It was the speed difference was insurmountable.
1: Yeah, and for sure. And
0: that's why this fight went the way it did. It was a complete one-sided beatdown. Yeah. And, you know, shout out to Timothy Johnson for taking the fight. But Fedor proven that he is... An anomaly, man. He he is not, he is not the, he is an outlier in a lot of ways for MMA. And I think, Dominic, and this might be controversial, I'm just saying what I think will happen here. I think you will see Fedor fight Ryan Bader next for that heavyweight title. Hmm. I don't think Valentin Moldovsky and Ryan Bader is going to be the fight that. Uh, like that that fight will still happen as far as Moldovsky will still have his chance right to combine that heavyweight title mm-hmm. but Bellator is going to be looking to cash in on a Bader Fedor rematch that'll be big money for them and it'll probably be Fedor's retirement fight um I just don't see them going with the interim title fight for Valentin Moldovsky. It would be very interesting if Fedor won against Vader, and then you had him versus Moldovsky, like you Battle mentioned. of Russia. That'd yeah, That'd be interesting. But regardless of what, when it happens or what happens, Fedor did prove that he is still an elite-level heavyweight in Bellator. I don't know how well he would do if he was in the UFC. We're going to talk about that on Wednesday, some of Daniel Cormier's comments that's a little plug for Wednesday's episode Um, but in terms of right now for the promotion he's in he's one of the best heavyweights on the roster one of the best in the world he probably should be fighting for a title here soon so yeah and I
1: just just want to say real quick on a personal note I thought it was really cool from the entire MMA community really showing love to Fedor after he got this win reminding people hey this is one of the greatest talents of all time because you know, when he was really on a tear during his prime years, I was still so young and I was like only locked into the UFC. I didn't know much about the pride and all of the international stuff going on. So it's only until, you know, these last five or six years when I've been indulged into all of MMA, all promotions and such where Fedor's really I've gotten to see how great he actually is. And the fact that he came out and did this again at forty five years old was just so impressive. So I, I thought that was really cool. The community all coming together as one almost and just showing him love because it was very well-deserved. So,
0: Yeah, it just felt like a special, special moment, you know? Yeah, yeah. Let's go to, uh, well, another headline for Bellator. I forgot we got the two for – don't usually do two headlines for Bellator, but I think this one earned it.
1: Oh, he Usman.
0: did. Usman gets the submission win over – Patrick Petila, I believe is that it might be Patrick, but I'm gonna go with Patrick (laughs) Petila in round one, four minutes, six seconds in. So Dominic, I mean, the odds for this fight were absolutely insane. I mean, Usman, this, this really the fight itself is not the headline here. The question I'm gonna pose, because when I've watched this, there's certain times where you watch certain fighters and you just know that you're looking at future greatness. At least that's yeah. that's the feeling you get. Sometimes that feeling's wrong. Sometimes it's right. But I had that feeling when I was watching this fight, a feeling of this guy is going to do big things for Bellator. Yeah. So I'm just going to say how long before Usman is competing for a title. He's ranked seventh right now, tied for seventh.
1: Because
0: uh, we love ties and rankings.
1: Yeah, we do. Um,
0: But, you know, considering the matchup here was against someone who was completely outmatched and Mm -hmm. it was a complete mismatch. Is it going to take a little longer for him to really be competing for a title or is this just kind of the last fight? And now he's going to be fed to guys or not. I want to say fed, but brought along to guys like Benson Henderson, who's ranked sixth and guys like that.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's no reason not to at this point. Right. He's three and oh now. In Bellator, and he was one of the most, uh, you know, one of the most highest regarded free agents when Bellator went and got this signing. This was a big deal. We, I think we even covered it. Him and Magomed Magomedov both were huge signings for Bellator. We've seen them both be molded thus far in Bellator, how they've done. Magomed was in a huge fight, fell short. But obviously Usman now undefeated still. He's in the top 10 of the rankings. And I just think now it's time to fast track the guy. It's clear how dominant he is, how great his skill set is and their Nurmagomedov last name helps a little bit in terms of star power. The guy's already got like almost 500,000 followers on Instagram already, and he's a Bellator fighter. That's a lot for guys over there in Bellator. So, you know, with Habib in his corner, we know that he has a bright future ahead. I think he can kind of starch through the competition until he gets to that elite of the lightweight division. I know we're going to see Patrikhi Pitbull uh, fight for the vacant belt coming up in, I think, November. So, you know, when you start thinking about Usman, in there, with that mix of guys, it starts getting very intriguing. But, uh, yeah, it's time to start feeding this dude to the wolves because he will be a champion. It's one of those guys where it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when that belt will be strapped around his waist.
0: Yeah, we do have a lightweight title fight coming yeah. up in the beginning of November with Patricky Pitbull and Peter Queely.
1: Peter Queely, Yeah. Um,
0: no matter who wins that fight, it's going to be a feel-good story because, you know, has mm-hmm. Pat- just been kind of dominating these, that division in featherweight for so long that, you know, we just haven't had a champion in a while. But um, whoever wins that, it'll feel good, be a good moment. But regardless, I think they're merely keeping that belt warm for when
1: yeah.
0: uh, Usman Nurmagomedov makes his way there. I, I really do think this guy's going to be a dominant champion perhaps for Bellator as long as yeah. he's there. Um, yeah, so we'll move on to the UFC. Or no, sorry. Actually, I, I did have one more question for oh, you. I forgot. Well, let me pop future champion back up for <laughs> you. <laughs> I wanted to actually get your thoughts on this the mismatch that took place here. This is not I – I, I wish I should have looked up the odds that closed on this fight, but it was something like minus or – plus. I forget if it was the he was favored by like minus 1500 or something yeah. or minus yeah. 2000. Which I mean, these the crazy. odds were insane for this fight,
1: yeah.
0: And this is not the first time that Bellator has had something like this. Uh, the Jack Swagger from the WWE when he came in, Jake Hager, I remember he fought uh, someone crazy odds for that. I mean, it, it, they. They tend to do some tune-up fights for their prospects, if you want to call it that. But what are your thoughts on, on this kind of matchmaking where you know these top prospects are given these completely unremarkable, unknown um, journeyman products that really have no shot and it's merely just a showcase for them?
1: Right. I mean, it's kind of how MVP's uh, career has gone and Bellator is kind of the same way where he's been looked at as his top prospect. And we always talk about his level of competition is relatively lackluster until he gets in with the guys like Douglas Lima, so on and so forth. So, uh, you know, it's interesting. I don't know if it's just maybe there's a large drop off in Bellator between these top elite level prospects that they get and some of the mingling guys that have been there for quite some time. Uh, so it could just be that it's not as deep as steep as you know, the UFC um, it's obvious competitor. So, you know, it sucks for the guys that are kind of fed to these elite prospects in Usman or Magomedov, so on and so forth. But at the end of the day, these prospects do have to prove that they can beat these, you know, uh veterans of the game before they get in with the elite. And now it's just time, like for Usman, he's three and oh. we don't need any more of these type of fights. It's time to really push him in. So, you know, I guess it just depends on a fighter by fighter basis, but you do see it with some of the prominent names, Usman, MVP, as I mentioned. So,
0: yeah, I guess um, I feel a little differently just because I feel like a lot of these guys are being brought in strictly for the fight. Like I'm not sure about this specific example, but like Jake Hager, when he fought JW Kaiser, Kaiser was signed purely to fight Jake Hager, he was like one and two. He was forty-one years old. Um, I think that's kind of ridiculous, in my opinion. Yeah, I think that's. I don't think that's helping anybody. Like, if I mean, I guess it it boosts up your 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 prospect status with the fans, maybe, but these have to be the most casual fans to not be able to see through what what you are doing here. I mean, mm-hmm. these are complete mismatches. You have. They have a big roster, Dom. Yeah, you use guys that are in similar placing. Maybe the odds would still be, you know, 500, six, six to one, seven to one. We've seen that in the UFC. Yeah, but at least it's it's at least realistic. I mean, just bringing a guy in who's really never fought before. I mean, that's kind of what you're getting a lot of these. It's like guys who aren't who aren't. I mean, they're fighters, but like they're not really fighters and they're going up against future elite level yeah. champions who that, that doesn't benefit anybody and right. it, i think it's kind of it's kind of shameless to book like that i mean you just saw an incident with Bare knuckle fc where they, a man died in the in the ring and he was completely mismatched in his fight yeah. He was like, uh, I forget what his record was, but he was like an under 500 fighter going up against a stud. Got knocked out. And I'm not saying that the mismatch is the reason he died. I'm just saying that, you know, these these guys that are coming in here to take these fights with these big prospects and they have no business fighting in Bellator, they're taking a lot of damage for this. And I just don't think it's, uh, I just don't think it really does the benefit that, Bellator wants you to think it does. Mm-hmm. And it's a little shameless in my opinion. Just you have talent on your roster. You have a full roster of fighters. Use the talent you have. If they, if these prospects can't get the win, they ain't prospects. Right. Right. Sorry. I mean, that's just, I, I just don't, I it's kind of gross in my opinion, but I like a little no
1: rant in my weekends. <laughs>
0: UFC time.
1: Holy cannoli. <laughs> I was waiting on Mar-
0: Marvin Vittori gets the win over Paulo Costa via unanimous decision. So how should we do this, Dom? Should we start with the fight? Should we <laughs> I, I let okay? Let's I'm gonna start by letting you talk about the fight itself. Yeah. What did you think of the fight? You know, how did both guys look? Go ahead.
1: Yeah. So, you know, again, fight week drama aside, this fight was absolutely uh, incredible. Went all five rounds, a war of attrition for both guys. Marvin looked in, you know, spectacular. His chin is made of granite. I'm convinced. Uh, Paulo hitting him with huge shots, huge body shots. And Marvin's just walking him down, stalking him down, constantly pressuring you know it's the typical fight you see for marvin he didn't really try to grapple much but he didn't need to he was competing just fine on the feet obviously he got the win Um, and i gotta say as much as i didn't want to give paulo credit i kind of have to here a little bit because this is a guy that i thought was going to look relatively lackluster if he didn't get an early finish and while he did lose the fight obviously he looked good throughout and the fact that he was able to do it for five rounds and not only that but win the fifth round and looked his best in that 25th minute was very surprising to me, being that he was so large. I believe I saw Ali Abdelaziz said their uh, fight day weigh-ins. Paulo was 220 and Marvin was 208. Obviously, we know this fight ended up getting moved to light heavyweight, which is in regards to the fight week drama. But yeah, this fight was incredible. Uh, Marvin really needed a bounce back. I mean, again, both were coming off of a loss to the champion Israel Adesanya. So they needed a bounce back win, even though it wasn't at middleweight. And I thought Marvin this whole week carried himself like a true professional fight night looked like a true professional fought like one And man. I mean, I know he gets a lot of hate, a lot of slack, but if you don't respect this man after, you know, UFC Vegas 41, you better take a second second look at yourself in the mirror because just again incredible all the way around for Marvin Vittori great fight one of the fights of the year uh undoubtedly one that also is going to be in my most surprising fight of the year category because I didn't think this fight was going to be like this to begin with and especially after fight week I didn't think it was going to deliver but it over delivered
0: we'll have some interesting deliberation then because I put it in my (laughs) fight of the year category
1: I did too yeah
0: so um Let me put this out there. Uh, Marvin Vittori is only 27 years old. Crazy. I understand a lot of people may not like the guy. I understand he's lost twice to the champion, Israel Adesanya. Marvin Vittori is really good. Mm -hmm. Not only that, he's only going to get better. He's literally not even in his prime yet. Yeah. People... Marvin Vittori might end up being a big deal in the UFC. Yeah, you know Adesanya. I know is you know he's got. I don't see that fight ever being run back again. But my whole point is, you just MMA is so unpredictable. You know Adesanya might win one more over. He might beat Whitaker and then decide to go up the light heavyweight again. And you know you just don't know. I might go on out on a limb and say Marvin Vittori will be a middleweight champion before it's all said and done, and this fight just proved it for me. Yeah, this man has always been a grinder. I mean, his average fight time before this fight was like sixteen minutes. Mm-hmm. I mean, the guy, the guy is a bit of a. Um, what's the word, a marathon man. He's like a marathon runner in there. You know, he's he 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 is built to last for the entirety of a fight, whether it's 15 minutes, whether it's 25 minutes, he is ready to go. And in this fight, he took heavy, heavy shots from Paulo Costa, not even a Paulo Costa that had to cut weight. This is a Paulo Costa at his full potential power, yeah. Yeah. and he just ate him. You know, he got a little wobbled by the head kick that landed flush. That puts anyone else out. Besides that, every hard shot that landed, every kick to the body, to the arms, he looked completely unbothered. Yeah. And he won the fight. I mean, he clearly won the fight. He he truly grinded his way to a victory by doing good level changes, but really just keeping the pressure on Costa – finding those openings, those little opportunities for a small flurry, not leaving himself um, overextended to perhaps a counter shot. Mm -hmm. Um, But I do have to give props to Paulo Costa because I thought by the end of round two, I thought he was done. Yep, He looked gassed and then he just kept going that explosiveness. Like it, it, it does like for him, it, it wasn't. He did look different from round one to round three or so, but it was like anytime he did throw something super explosive, still.
1: No, oh, like yeah, that guy sure.
0: carries that power and explosiveness no matter how tired he is. And he was tired, let's be clear. He was yeah. tired in this fight. This was the first time Paulo Costa ever went to a fifth round or a fourth round, yeah. and the fifth round was his best round of the fight. Crazy, he looked fantastic. He honestly, I was getting a little nervous. He might finish Marvin Vittori in that round. I mean, Marvin was kind of holding on for dear life at points, but
1: yeah,
0: all in all, this was a fantastic fight. Over delivered considering what it could have been. What we, I think a lot of us had kind of the worst, um, kind of had like the worst case scenario feelings about this fight. I mean, hell, I even said on Friday, I wouldn't have been surprised if Costa laid down and said, I'm done within the first five seconds of the fight. He came in there and looked to win. Say what you will. So now let's do the full picture. You know, let's, you take into account the fight. We take into account the post-fight press conference where we heard comments from Dana, from Paulo. We've heard Marvin's thoughts and all of the fight week leading up, Dominic. I guess the simple question is: What are your thoughts on this crazy fight week? Now that the fights taking place, and we've heard from all parties, where where is where? Do, what do you think now? Because we you were pretty angry on Friday.
1: Yeah, uh, well, I mean, it, Dana White kind of said it pretty clear at the post fight presser. Paulo is now going to be fighting at light heavyweight, and while. Uh, Waleed may disagree with that. He said he's going to have a chat with Dana say no. Paulo confidently believes he can still make 185. This was a one-off. This was an outlier. Shit went down in fight camp where he couldn't train. Therefore, he came in heavy, yada, yada, yada. Either way, I do think Paulo will be at light heavyweight next. Uh, I don't know if it'll be permanent, but I do think the UFC is going to quote-unquote punish him. I'm not, you know, take that term loosely. You know what I mean? Uh, But I think, yeah, with all this drama, you can't, Put him right back into a one eighty five pound fight. You have to gain trust back from him in a certain sense. So uh, I look for Costa to fight at two hundred five, and it's it's a weight class I think he could compete in. Anyways, I mean you saw how big he looked in there. He was two hundred twenty damn pounds on fight night for crying out loud. So he looked good. The fact that he went you know five full rounds at two hundred or at light heavyweight, I should say, well, it was impressive. So mm-hmm. I am excited to see kind of how they match make him in that division for Vittori. Obviously. Back to 185, you go, but it's like, okay, what do we do next? One that, you know, kind of glares out in my head first would maybe be the loser of uh, Brunson Cannoneer in January. I know the timelines aren't perfect because it's still October, but uh Vittori is amongst the elite. So you must keep him in there with the elite. And I don't think Vittori is going to look for anything other than, you know, a top four, top five guy, especially now. I don't know if they'll move him come Tuesday because this fight didn't happen at middleweight, but. I think he's deserving of getting bumped in those rankings still. So uh, I am curious to see what will happen. I think he is a future title contender again. I think he could be a future champion. Maybe not even at middleweight, but he looked pretty good at 205 too. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see him contend for a title at light heavyweight in the future, being that he's only 27. Man, the Italian dream lives on.
0: This is interesting because... I think I think you answered the next question I was going to ask you but didn't really answer oh, the I question. Did. <laughs> so um how about I answer my own question then? Yeah. Um so this fight week has been wild. It's been I a lot of people were very you know, and rightfully so uh, Paulo Costa got a lot of shit thrown his way and he he should have. Yeah even though I do think there's a bit of a double standard with Nick Diaz not getting the same treatment. I understand people's thoughts on like, well, this fight had a lot of implications for the division. Nick Diaz is more so just making a one-off return, but I digress. I don't know if you should really, I think that both fighters should get, you know, you shouldn't, if you're in the management side, if you're in the UFC, you shouldn't, come down harsher on one guy because he's a top five middleweight versus a guy who's not a top five welterweight for wanting to switch. It it should be equal cases there. Um, So I do think there's a bit of a double standard in the community with, with these two incidents, but neither one's good. You want guys to come in, try to make weight. If they don't make weight, they lose percentage of their purse and, we we've given a lot of crap. I mean, people still give crap when people try to make weight and don't. You know, Aspen Lab got a lot of flack. Mm-hmm. Um, all in all, I when I once the fight happened and it was fantastic and everything was said and done, I kind of sat there and looked back and I'm like, were we like, was there a bit were we a bit over dramatic about the whole thing? You know, it was the way Costa went about it is is the problem. He, yeah. he immediately spoke out. He said, I'm not going to make weight. I'm 211 pounds. Mentioned we can do it at a catch weight or at 205 pounds. You know, kind of acted like if the fight didn't happen, it was Marvin Vittori's fault. Didn't go about it the best way, but he's not the best English speaker either. And I just wonder if, You know, when it's all said and done, how much different was this situation to, you know, not just even the Diaz, but, you know, we do see fighters that do go in and, um, would it have been better if Paulo hadn't said anything and had just tried to make weight and had probably missed by the good amount? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I, I think he could have got a little closer than that, but, um, You know, what's the better case here? Now, obviously, the best case scenario is that you just make weight, which is why I do think it's an appropriate move for him to go to light heavyweight. Um, I think – I don't know how much success Paulo will truly have because people are kind of looking at this fight and go, well, he looked good here. He's going up against Marvin Vittori. He's a middleweight. Yeah. (laughs) You know, you've got to think about the kind of guys he's going to be fighting at light heavyweight, Yuri Prohaska. Dominic Reyes. Look how big and long these guys are. Paulo yeah. has short arms. you know. He's, yeah. he's, he, he carries a lot of power, but look at how much bigger these guys at light heavyweight are compared to who he was fighting at middleweight. I don't have a ton of um, optimism about him as a light heavyweight, but I do think that this, this whole ordeal is enough to say you can't fight at 185 pounds. Right. Because what ends up coming out, Dom, with the, the big thing that we were waiting for was what is his what is his excuse? And he kind of tried to not even answer it. Yeah. But then he eventually said it was his left bicep that basically caused him to not be able to train for multiple weeks. Yeah. So we know that most fighters don't come into a fight at 100%.
1: Right.
0: So if you're telling me that for him to make 185 pounds, basically everything has to go perfect. Yeah. He shouldn't be fighting at that weight then. Exactly. Did you want to give any thoughts since you know that was the question I asked you?
1: I mean, I I can't give much more thoughts than what I said on Fridays where I really spoke my piece and just hearing Dana come out at the post fight presser, kind of put a cap on things, I guess. Well were you hearing-
0: surprised were you surprised that Dana wasn't more upset? Like remember on Friday, we said there was a chance Paulo might get cut. Now the performance, the fight, yeah, was so good that maybe that's enough to kind of stop that in its tracks. But I mean Dana didn't even seem all that no frustrated, angry.
1: No, I I thought it was funny when he did his fuck it Friday this week. He did uh, some sort of corn and hot flame and hot yeah. Cheeto thing. And someone commented on the video and said, this looks like Paulo Costa's diet. And he responded and said, like, LOL with laughing faces. So, apparently, he wasn't as upset as I thought he would be going throughout this week. I'm sure it was stressful for him and the matchmakers in the UFC, obviously. But, again, when the fight kind of delivers like that, I guess you can only be so mad for so long. And if he's going to make the decision that, hey, you're going to light heavyweight, then... I guess you kind of put this middleweight drama to the side.
0: Yeah, I, I think now that I, I'm – again, this is all hindsight. I, I stand by everything I've said up to this point I'm from Friday and whatnot. But I just I, – part of me does wonder. You know, Dana was so laissez-faire about it, and he mentioned one of the reasons for that is that he said we deal with this kind of stuff all the time. I kind of believe him. I'm like when these fights kind of get removed on the week of the fight, you know, maybe this is a lot of what you're running into. Where yeah. fighters, maybe this happens more often than we think. It's just we gave so much flack to Paulo because he was kind of upfront about it. He came you know? out and said he it, came, yeah. he came out. He didn't go out. And again, he he should have chose his words a little better than he did. Yeah, he should have did what Nick Diaz did, honestly. Yeah, but um, it just I I get why people might disagree with me on like the equal cases mm-hmm. thing because this was a big fight in the middleweight division you're the main event your big implications because you're both coming off title losses and then for this to happen in the way it did it's a lot more impactful to a card and to a division than let's say you know nick if Nikolai nagumaruno if he had pulled this against isaac villanueva people probably wouldn't have had as much to say about it. Right, right. Because ultimately that doesn't have as much implication to the card or to um, the division as this one. Of course. Nick Diaz, Robbie Lawler, I stand by. That was a big fight. That was the biggest fight of the card for a lot of people. But I get it, not as big implications for the division. We just wanted to see that fight happen, so we didn't really care if it was at welterweight or middleweight. Yeah, but I digress. I look forward to seeing what's next for these two. I like your thoughts for Marvin Vittori. I think the loser of Brunson and Cannonier makes a lot of sense. Now I want to give see if I can get you to hone in on like for Paulo. Is there a specific opponent? How about a Dominic Reyes?
1: I mean, a fight like that doesn't make sense. You have to. <laughs> You know, a former middleweight in Anthony Smith, you know, things like that. Paulo was, at the end of the day, the number two middleweight in the world. And when we talk about people switching weight classes, we kind of take that into consideration. So, like, okay, if you were amongst the elite at 185, you can for sure fight, you know, a guy in the top 15 or the top 10 or maybe the top five. So, yeah, I mean, guys like Dominic Reyes, Anthony Smith, you know, Tiago Santos, all those types of guys, especially like Thiago and Anthony, that both were former middleweights, so that makes even more sense. Things like that, um, I, I think, you know, take some time. If he does have any healing to do, maybe get accustomed to consistently fighting at 205, because I'm sure his body and physique will look even. You could even tell his physique just looked different. Not that he's still, he's chiseled of stone, obviously, but he looked a little bit thicker in this one, and, uh, you know, if he can get that size right the nutrition down because again you said paulo's big but these light heavyweights are true really big long rangy light heavyweights so get prepared because there's a plethora of options for him here as i'm going down the list i mean johnny walkers ryan spans all of these guys truthfully make sense
0: yeah i think a lot of people would be surprised at the the difference if you saw in and Octagon yeah. with Johnny Walker, just how yeah, much? Yeah, Johnny Walker's six foot six. You know, yeah. Crazy. I mean, it's just going to be a crazy size difference. So yeah, he'll have to make some adjustments if that's really going to be his direction. Also, wouldn't surprise me if after this conversation that's had with Dana White that they might end up giving him another fight at middleweight. Yeah, and if that's the case, I don't know. I don't know who he should fight next, honestly, if it's a middleweight. I don't really have a – maybe Darren Till, when Darren Till comes back from injury. Yeah. I don't know. Let's get into the rest. <laughs> Alex Casares And I. you know what? I he does it actually, again. I didn't say it at the top here. This card was actually fantastic.
1: <laughs> yeah, it was phenomenal. It really was. Yeah, I
0: mean, there was just – it seemed like every fight was like – that's fight of the night. That's that's yeah. a contender for. That could be a fight of the year. You know, it could be a, a the sleeper of the year. You know, surprising fight of the year.
1: Give them a and bonus. Give them fight, a bonus.
0: Each fight was just elevating that status yeah. even more. Alex Caceres has a come from behind submission wow. win over Sungwoo Choi, round two, three minutes thirty one seconds. The difference in this fight was the power of Sungwoo Choi was hurting Caceres. Um, There wasn't a legal knee that caused Choi to have a point taken away. So really it wasn't a come from behind victory. If you look at it in that way, he just won. But in my eyes, Sunwoo Choi was winning the first six minutes of this fight. But the moment, the moment Caceres found an opening to take that back, he took it swiftly. He didn't let go and was able to lock in that choke. No problem. Fight over joy was landing so many good shots i mean i was loving the his straight right was insane straight right was so pretty to watch um just hurt he was hurting caseras with pretty much everything he landed
1: yeah
0: he was missing a lot but i didn't feel like caseras was really landing anything substantial
1: no yeah But then
0: the, the moment he got that opening and this is a guy that never really was looked at as like a grappler exactly
1: he's the karate guy you know
0: he's made so it just shows how much his game has evolved before our eyes and really how much i've underestimated him up to this point
1: i agree this is his 25th ufc fight he's 15 and 10 now the longest win streak of his career not even just the ufc it now stands at five and a guy that's been in there with elite competition for years middle level competition lower level competition he fights all the time, and he fights anyone, uh, Bruce Leroy, that is. And for him to face big adversity in this and come back and defeat a guy as powerful as Sung Woo Choi locked in the submission and made it look like there were just levels between them when, when it came to grappling and jujitsu, jitsu uh, was so impressive. Again, coming from the guy that is the karate guy, you know, hence Bruce Leroy as his nickname, is just so impressive. He's evolved with the times like your boy Andre Arlovsky has Noah, where He just continues to get better and better. Uh, with age, like a fine wine. So shout out to Alex Caceres, five in a row. I know Noah said on Friday he was in the rankings for like one week and then got taken out. He's right back there again on the Cups Top 15. Yeah. Do we give him a shot at least to earn his way in there?
0: Well, I don't know. I don't think I said this in the episode, but remember what I told you off recording? I'll admit it. Mm-hmm. I said, yeah, he was in the rankings for like one week, and I looked at it and I was looking like, is Alex Caceres really the, the 15th best Other weight in the world, I'm like now he's making us think if this win streak and the way he's doing it, and he's continuing to show improvement. Yeah, I and maybe I've just slept on his career at this point because I mean, look at some of the loss. I mean, he had a very close fight with Yair Rodriguez, yeah, back in like 2016. That was one of the first main events that I was uh when I started watching. Um, you know, since then he had a loss to Crone Gracie that was pretty one sided, but besides that, the guy's been a gamer, man. He just, yeah, he shows up, and a lot of times he's going up against guys that don't have near the experience as him. You know, he does pull some Arlovskis, he does, he does, you know, but it's even more impressive, I would say, than Arlovsky because he's not just winning off of IQ or off of the mistakes that his opponent is making. He's, Finding these small openings, I mean not opening for Choi. That was like a split second. Yeah. To get that back. And make takes full advantage. He gets the win. Very impressive.
1: Phenomenal. Oh yeah.
0: Fight of the, the this one <laughs> this
1: is nuts.
0: So I put this one, I'll tell you up right now, I put this one on the surprising fight of the year category because <laughs> Gregory Rodriguez gets the knockout of Jun Young Park a fight that we talked about on friday a fight that we thought could be fun two strikers two guys that carry some power didn't expect this you no, know this, this no. knockout comes in round 2 3 minutes 13 seconds in this fight was so back and forth i mean there was so many moments that it looked like either guy was about to just drop dead
1: yeah and dude. even
0: even the finishing sequence the commentary was saying what I was thinking was that Rodriguez looked done. He yeah. was up against the fence. He, his body language said all the the red flags. You know that tweet, the tweet thing going around right now. Oh with all the yeah, red flags? yeah, yeah. That Gregory Rodriguez up against the fence. Red flags everywhere. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And then he just unleashes some boom, venomous, fucking right hands and left hands and. Yeah. Park just fucking drops and they like a sack I of love potatoes. how he
1: went, he like followed him all the way across to the other side of the cage and then just dropped him. Ooh, wow.
0: This fight was fantastic. I want to give props to both guys. I know Jungino Park lost here, but both guys showing a lot of heart, showing and I you know what's the, if I want to hone in on something technical here what impressed me most about both guys is they were both hurt, they were both exhausted. But both, and this is the reason Rodriguez kind of won, but even for Park, he had it too. They were hurt, exhausted, almost mentally even fatigued. But yeah. when they still threw with their hands, they threw with power and with accuracy. You didn't see a lot of looping shots and, you know, what pray, what, not standing praise, you know. yeah. These shots were very precise, powerful, even when. The rest of them looked like they were done.
1: Yeah.
0: So, uh, pr- hats off to both guys. I'm not going to actually take my hat off, but uh, you guys, this was the fight of the night, correct?
1: Yeah. yeah. it was the official fight of the night as well. Yep.
0: Yeah. Mason Jones and David Onama. Mason Jones does get the unanimous decision win, but we talked about this fight for a reason, Dominic. Mason Jones was, was looking for his first official win in the UFC coming from wales but a lot of people very excited about him then you have david onama who just signed with the ufc for this very fight took it on four or five days notice
1: yeah crazy
0: mason jones gets to win it's almost one of those situations where it's like mason jones walked out the winner like he won the battle but onama might have won the war here because i think now a lot of people onama might have his stock might have raised even higher uh, because this isn't even his division let's be clear He was fighting 10 pounds above where he usually fights, and he hurt Mason Jones a lot in this fight. But Mason Jones, ever the good fighter he is as well. Very smart takedowns. Um, This fight wasn't boring at all, very back and forth. Jones doing a lot of good work on the feet. But Onama at featherweight, he's going to be someone to keep your eyes on.
1: Oh, yeah, this fight was incredible, man. I I loved it. I'm so glad we talked about it on Friday. (laughs) and I'm so glad it lived up and then some (laughs) uh, to that hype that we gave it. Uh, Onama, my hat is off to this guy. Comes in on Monday, 8-0, undefeated fighter, was on vacation in Alabama because he just fought on October 8th, and then gets the call from the UFC, comes in here to fight Uh, Mason Jones, one of the biggest prospects uh, in this lightweight division. Oh, and by the way, like Noah mentioned, David Onama, He's a featherweight. So he came in weighing like 153 and a half pounds. This was such a back and forth barn burner on the feet. It was great on the grappling side of things. Mason Jones really showed his well-roundedness. But Onama showed his way to get up, sprawl, defend takedowns as well. This was a fight that checked all the boxes for me. Um, It's great for Mason Jones. He got that first win uh, of his UFC career. Wales really coming out firing with some young bright prospects by the way in Mm -hmm. mma right now and again david onama the first fighter ever by the way from uganda in the ufc fighting out of kansas city though which was interesting but a phenomenal fight man i can't wait to see mason jones get back in there i can't wait to see david onama not only get back in there but what he can do off of a full training camp at his natural weight class of featherweight i can't say enough about this fight
0: yeah last one flyweight prospects jeff molina gets the tk over daniel da silva round two 46 seconds in
1: we love this these fight. guys huh?
0: literally i thought this fight was going to be fight of the night and then look at all everything that happened this fight kind of got slept on by the end because kinda. so much happened but daniel da silva early i was like oh my god i'm like this guy's kicks are yeah ruthless his stand-up just looks so impressive jeff molina and not even to mention how many Submission attempts he put on, yeah. Uh, Jeff Molina. Jeff Molina has a very good ability to kind of weather a storm and remain calm. Yes, you know he doesn't. Yes. He doesn't get too. You know he doesn't start Over freaking Zellings. out. Yes. Yes. And that's ultimately what won him this fight. He found the opening early in the second round because Daniel Da Silva, maybe a little bit deflated from not being able to get that finish, in round one. Lands a perfect right hand that drops to Silva, and it was all done. I think both these guys have bright futures in the flyweight division. But Jeff Molina, contender series contract earner, mm-hmm. he's uh, two and zero oh now, both in wars. I remember his war at UFC 259 He the drinky Lang, and um, does it again here, man. Just this is the kind of these are the kind of guys I want to see at the top of the flyweight division.
1: Exactly. We talk about the flyweights all the time. We show them love when the other fellas don't. And it just, this fight lived up to everything. And then some Jeff Molina, incredible striking, incredible boxer. Look good on the ground. Uh, da Silva as well. Very good fighter. Can't wait to see him back in there. We love the flyweights to kick off the fight card, or one of the fights to kick off the fight card, and end our weekend recap.
0: Mm-hmm. So that's going to wrap it up for this recap This is going to be a three-episode week for us. We will be back on Wednesday with the Reddit Roundtable and then Friday. Time for... Uh, Fasten up. I mean, it's going to be a preview, but it's going to be a recap at the same time. (laughs)
1: Yeah.
0: Dana White's Contender Series Week 9, PFL Championships, UFC 267. And And I want to introduce something here, a new segment that we're going to try to keep doing on our Sunday recaps is, uh, what's the name of it, Dom? A regional <laughs> showcase. There we go. The regional showcase. And this is just a way for us to branch out and watch some of these still very popular, but smaller promotions. You know, these these promotions that are really the ones that are manufacturing the next wave of champions and the big yeah. talent. You know, it's a way for us to kind of get ahead of the curve and, See guys, and we go well. That guy's going to be a big deal. And then yeah. we can follow their career. It's going to start this Friday. UAE Warriors twenty four on Fight Pass. We're going to watch it. We're going to talk about it on Sunday. We'll just recap it. We won't preview it. Yeah. So none of we're not going to be previewing um, these cards because these are a lot of fighters we are going to have. Yeah. No clue who they are. We're going to recap them. We're going to recap and we're going to give our thoughts on who stands out to us and everything like that so if you guys want to follow along uae warriors 24 ufc fight pass friday make sure to check that out yeah but um until then dominic tell the good people where they can find you on social media
1: find me on twitter on instagram at decley 14 more importantly go follow go engage (laughs) go interact with the podcast on twitter on instagram at baj underscore mma podcast
0: for me, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram at nt baker underscore. If you go to the link in my bio, yeah. it'll take you to the link tree, uh-huh. yeah, which provides you a list of links right to all the platforms the podcast on, along with social media platforms. So that includes,
1: but is not limited to,
0: the Twitter, the Instagram, the YouTube channel, and Spotify. You one up a podcast; it's all on there, baby. And there's a couple links for today's sponsor anchor shout out to anchor first leaving a voice message and second yeah do it <laughs> if you would like to become a supporter of the podcast oh, come on you just come on. you can just uh leave a few dollars and all that money goes back into improving the quality of the podcast but that's it we're out we're gonna see y'all on wednesday oh baby <laughs>